everybody. Welcome to the 298th edition of the Holy Backboard Podcast. I am Dustin here in Rip City, and I got my man. Sage, chill. <laughs> oh, man, I burped during your entire introduction, so apologies for the non-professionalism, but I'm Sage here, live and direct in Beaverton, Oregon, about to... Uh, I'm actually very excited to talk about these four prospects this has been a long time in the making since we've started the Future Friday series back in January. We have dedicated episodes to singular players. Uh, almost probably over 20 players have got their individual episodes. But as we discussed pre- prior to the show, including today's episode, there are five Future Fridays left. One of them will be a mock draft. So we have to start combining players. And we have been wanting to do a second round steals podcast for for quite some time. And now is that time. And and I am very excited as well. I love scouting second round talent almost more so than than lottery talent. I definitely like it better than than mid-tier first round picks because when it comes to a first round pick, you're guaranteeing that player four years for however many million dollars. Like they are on the book. So if you draft someone who's a bust, It's going to be hard to clear your books, regardless of the low cost. A second round player is the ultimate high reward, low risk, and you don't have to critique them as hard because you're looking just for somebody who can be a rotational player. Now, if they turn out to be Cliff Robinson, Jerome Kersey, Draymond Green, more power to those players. But if you can just get a play, look at Pat Connaughton, look at Gary Trent Jr., These are players that have developed and they had major question marks coming out of the collegiate ranks. However, when you look at a second round prospect, it's not what you can't do, Sage. It's what you can do. I don't care if you're a 6'3 shooting guard. I don't care if you're a center who I can't run post-ups through. I don't care if you're a power forward who might be slightly undersized. I care about what you can do. Are you a menace on the glass? Can you create your own shot? Are you a marksman from downtown? These are the types of things that I think get overlooked when scouts are making their big boards or, you know, putting players into tiers. And I I get that to some extent. If you're drafting in the top 10, you probably want to hit that home run. You want somebody who checks all the boxes. But as we've discussed when we started the series, that's why so many busts happen in the first round. It's because you try to find a player that can do that when, when they really can't. And you should just be trying to find players who can do one or two things really well. And that's what we're here today to talk about. I've got two players that I'm really excited about. You've got two players that you're really excited about. Uh, Anything else, Sage, before we get into our four prospects of the day? Well, we've talked about this for a long time on our uh, normal Holy Backboard. It's 48 minutes of consistent, good basketball. And with these four players, I truly believe that that is attainable if the Blazers choose any of these players they're at least going to be in the rotation and probably more with a few of these prospects and I know that this is supposed to be like the gems section of the uh of our uh podcast but all four of these players have a first round grade on my board currently so I mean maybe the general ESPN doesn't know of these names very well, but people in draft Twitter and like, I'm I'm assuming the GMs know who Ryan Rollins is. So a little early compared to everybody else. So it's going to be a fun episode. You're going to learn about four guys that definitely deserve to be talked about. And uh, how about you start it off with one of your AZ boys? That sounds like a plan. Uh, The first player is Dalen Terry. He is let me look at my notes. Sorry, I'm, I have my notes tab up and we have done so many Future Fridays. And there, there's, there's no bolding. There's no nothing to differentiate. When I started and stopped, I found him. Dalen Terry, small forward, University of Arizona, stands just over 6'7", nearly a 7'1", wingspan, 195 pounds. Uh, he is 19, will be 20 by the time the draft rolls around from Phoenix, Arizona. Uh, currently number 36 on the ringers, big board, number 31 on tankathon tankathon's big board. I personally have him in my top 20, um, some season stats from his, uh, sophomore campaign at the university of Arizona, 
eight points, 4.8 boards, uh, nearly four assists, 1.2 steals, 0.3 blocks, shot the ball at 50% from the field, over 36% from three, uh, almost 74% from the line, did that in about 28 minutes uh, in 37 games and a player efficiency rating of 16.9. This is a player who I was watching Arizona primarily for Benedict Matherin, and and I'm sure you were as well. And I'm I'm a Duck fan. I got my Duck gear on uh, today. So saw a lot of Arizona basketball, you know, watching the Pac-12 network. They were a top five team, so they were on constantly. And this is a player who just popped. Like I didn't, I have never heard of Dale and Terry until this season began, but it, it was really reminiscent of when I was watching UCLA about 14 years ago. And there was this guard who just out of nowhere, unheralded, uh, unprecedented, just just yamming on everybody, just a menace in the fast break. That guard ended up being Russell Westbrook. And I'm not comparing Dale and Terry to Russell Westbrook, but I'm comparing the similar feelings I got to when I saw Westbrook at UCLA to what I felt when I watched Dale and Terry at Arizona. It seemed like his fingerprints were always on the game. Uh, He had an impact on both ends of the floor And I really love everything about him. And I did a deeper dive this week on, you know, his film, his strengths and his weaknesses. I honestly don't know why he's not being talked about as as a top 25, top 20 pick. I think he does nearly everything you want from a high level rotation player. Like, I don't know if he projects to be a top three guy, but if you can get a fourth or fifth starter in the second round, you, you take that and run. Um, to get Blazer fans excited, I I would say he reminds me, and this is just the first knee jerk reaction. He reminds me of a modern day Jerome Kersey. And I, and I say that because every time he gets the ball or every time he sees a missed shot, he has taken off down the court and he finishes just with so much ferocity and Jerome was an elite athlete who turned himself into a shooter. And the reason I say he's a modern day Jerome curse, because he has range after three point. Um, he does need to become more consistent with, with that jump shot, but I believe he is a reliable catch and shoot three point shooter. And like Jerome, he hustles his ass off. He's just a menace on the defensive end of the floor, active hands, uh, great lateral footwork. He just fights through screens. He He's a dog in every sense of the word and the meaning in NBA basketball. He is exactly what you need uh, on your roster. And I, I, I love, love this kid. I, if, if Portland would had like a 17 or 20 pick and the, I, I would scoop him up before he, cause I don't know if he'll last till 36. I would feel very comfortable taking him in, in the first round. I, I keep remembering that TCU game, and I know it was Benedict Matherin's best game, but Terry just had his fingerprints on the game throughout throughout that entire game. He had those big stops on the perimeter. I feel like Arizona did a really good job with him. I know that he's his positioning, if you look at like the the ESPN has him as a point guard. I don't truly believe that he is a point guard. I think that he is a guard that has ball skills, but is not a point guard. So AZ did a good job of not putting so much pressure on him to be the creator of the team. Like once Benedict Matherin took the reins of that offense, it was his. And Terry just was like the secondary creator. And I think that's the perfect role for him. But what impresses me the most is his defense. And I know this, this player is very, like because of his playoff performance, it's a hot button player because of how well he did. But I see the guard version of Herb Jones in him with his defense. Like one of the great things Willie Green did this year with Herb was give him the freedom to bring the ball up. I think if you treat Terry the same way that you treat Herb, you're going to see a huge rise in his efficiency on the court his defensive level, and then you have a secondary or tertiary playmaker in Dalen Terry. So I've been a huge fan of him. He's currently like 25 on my board because I just don't believe that he – like when I watch him, I don't see a second-round player. I see a first-round guy that isn't going to be your star player, 
with the Portland Trailblazers, you have your star player. You have a guy in a few years that can take the reins and ant. So you just need guys that are good basketball players. I, I don't think he lasts to the second round, but he's going to create a very good value. Even if he gets picked at 25, that's a huge value for a guy late first round, early second that can contribute to winning and playoff basketball. I don't think you can take him off the court because he is competent enough from three. And then he adds a um, point of attack defender or just a high level defender with what the Blazers are doing potentially with Ant and Dane, you need high level defenders to surround them. So if, if we get Dalen, we have a high level guard defender. Yeah. A uh, couple of points that, that you, that you touched on uh, first, since it was more recent about, about the deep defense, I think he projects as a potential all NBA type of defensive player, given his lateral quickness gives him potential point of attack defender uh, skills and off ball. I think he is just going to be a terror. There were so many plays where he would just lurk in, lurk, lurk in the bushes kind of, so to speak, and just pop out of nowhere and, and take that pass and uh, just just pounce for it. I mean, don't throw the ball cross court. I just got done rewatching the 92 NBA finals, and I, I can't tell you how many passes were picked off by Jordan and Pippen just because of how they anticipated the ball. They used their length and their quickness, and they, they just made life miserable for the, the Blazer guards trying to get out in transition. To have those guys who can turn defense into offense so invaluable uh, and then to go back to your point about uh, Arizona making him a playmaker, uh, he essentially was their second point guard behind Benedict Matherin and averaging four assists per game uh, as a secondary playmaker, I think in college is, is tremendous. Uh, he is really good at finding cutters. He is a really smooth bounce pass. I feel like he makes the right simple reads and his outlet pass in transition Nice. Like Kevin love. Nice. Like he does that more than just one or two times in a highlight video. Like it was a consistent theme that I saw, like he checks off like so many boxes uh, in my opinion that usually when you, you read about a second round prospect or a prospect that, that is falling, like they have like, here are their strengths and their weaknesses are like, it's just a, a, just a bibliography of just a, just a dump of, of stuff of this player can't do this, that, or that. I, I read his scouting report from the ringer, two minuses, unproven shooter, especially off the dribble due to a small sample size and needs to learn when and where to take risks, whether it's a playmaker forcing the ball into the paint or helping off of a shooter on defense. Sage, that doesn't seem like uh, minuses that should deter him from being a first round pick. It, Am I Do you wrong? want Dalen Terry to shoot off the bounce? But it doesn't really even that's a that's like that's like saying whenever I look at because every player is a minus, so it's like needs to get stronger. Okay, you can fix that. Learn to shoot off the bounce or not do it at all. You can fix that. You can either learn to do it or you don't need him to, to shoot off the bounce. Like he can just be a catch and shoot player. So it's just like I don't know what scout. If we want him to hit the 99th percentile, sure, he should hit hit off the bounce threes, but <clears throat> There's only like what 30 players in the league that can hit off the bounce threes. So I kind of like the aggressiveness because of how unaggressive the Blazers defense is. It's like, all right, now we have somebody that's willing to take a risk. And maybe that's the scheme that has been presented where we don't, we are very aggressive on blitzing the point guard with a very slow footed Nurkic, but to have somebody that he could pair with and Dale and Terry to just, actually make a play is good so honestly with the blazers like i'm cool with them being overly aggressive defensively of of course it's going to hurt us sometimes but it's also going to help us so i'm fine with that and then aggressively trying to find open teammates with a pass I mean, I think as long as you're not trying to thread a needle consistently, that's not there. I mean, we, we've seen that with, with a Yusuf Nurkic. Um, I, I think you're willing to live with it. I mean, if you look at the turnover leaders across time, it's always players with the ball in their hands. Like Steve Nash was a turnover monster, but he was still a two-time MVP. It's because mm-hmm. he had the ball so often. So as long as he's keeping the turnovers to a respectable amount and not take like – 
I think there's uh, a good risk and there's an unnecessary risk and you just, you, you know it when you see it. So uh, I, I hope that whatever team drafts him really lets him open up and just like lets him play his game. Because I, I think you talked about comparing him to Herb Jones and there were so many things that people said Herb couldn't do or can't do. And he may never be an all-star stage, but if you do a redraft right now, he's going top 10. There's no doubt in my mind, Herb Jones is going top 10 and he's a perennial all NBA defensive player, potential defensive player of the year type of guy. Yeah. Uh, do you, do you see the Herb Jones comparison in Dale yeah. and Dare? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I am like, I watched him and I'm like, what, what are scouts missing? What, what, what am I missing? And that's how like, certain I am with, with Dale and Terry. Like I, I, he just, he popped off film when I watched him over the collegiate season, got reacquainted with him and liked his game even more. Um, another case of a player just like turning it around. And I think you have to give a lot of credit to Tommy Lloyd, the Gonzaga assistant who went to Arizona. You saw three high level prospect prospects at Arizona just transform themselves. Mm-hmm. Benedict Matherin, Dalen Terry, and Christian Coloco. None of those players were really on NBA radars last year. And he and his staff came in, empowered them. Every story that they would talk about during segments was how he just positive reinforcement, empowered them, let them play, let them be themselves. And they led themselves to a one seed in the NCAA tournament. So you can kind of see what type of coaching is going to work with, with these prospects and um, it's just wonderful to see so many players last year, maybe had a down year this year, came back and just are now ready to set, kind of uh, set themselves up for life and live out their NBA dreams. So do you see him as like a two or a three? That's the beauty with his seven, one wingspan. He can play either. I, I really don't see that many minutes for a point guard on this team, since I think that it would be Dame and uh, Anthony playing most of the minutes as a, the primary playmaker when they're in. So having him be able to play one through three and probably defend one through four with that wingspan, like how, how, how many traditional fours are going to screw up D- Dale and Terry? There's not many in the league period. So if, if Jason Tatum takes advantage of Dale and Terry, there isn't anybody on the team that's going to do a better job against Jason Tatum. Who's so. really going to do a good job against Jason Tatum? Either. Yeah. There are certain players in this league that you just have to hope and pray miss, miss the shot or just completely take them out of the game by, by blitzing them. Like, I think it's time for us to, to scheme up defensively against those superstar players. It's been such a long time where we have been a competitive team that throws multiple actions at a superstar. It's been two coaches. I really don't think Chauncey did a good job of it either. And then Terry Stotts, obviously with his drop coverage. You also need the, the roster to, 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 to do it as well. Oh, totally. But I mean, cause there's, I, I don't know what defensive you could put Eric Spolster out there and say, hey, make Damon TJ where I don't think anybody could have made that work. So I'll, I'll just, I think you, do, I think it is a good uh, mesh. You need a good combination of a defensive minded coach, Nick Nurse coming up with all of these schemes. But I think you also do need the, the tools to, to make that, that scheme work. So uh, I'd agree with you there. Well, we, we have toolsy wings currently on the team with Nasir and Josh Hart. I, I think that we can make it happen. It's just, we never have a wall around the basket. It's always this, this open area for players to drive on us. So with this draft, I think we're going to take somebody that has some defensive potential in the first. And then a guy like Terry would be a perfect mix of defense and offense and just, you know, that fourth or fifth guy on a, uh, you know, the, the, the last five minutes of the game, the finishing five, because you can't take away his defense. So it'd be, at least we'd have a guy that's a plus defender outside of Yusuf Nurkic on this team if he's if he resigns. So who we have next is Ryan Rollins out of Toledo. But um, what drew me to him was in this draft class, there really isn't that many bucket getters 
that have dribble moves. I would say most players right now don't have that big of a bag to create space for themselves. So looking at a mid-major guy in Ryan, it was like, oh, he's dominating this lower competition. And you see it from his rookie year or his freshman year going about 13%, 13 points to 18. So there's improvement and he's just dominating this lower competition. And, you know, thinking of what the Blazers have done with guards from mid-majors was like, okay, I like the dribble moves. I like that he can pull up and get his shot whenever he so chooses to. And then usually bucket getters get this weird narrative where they can't pass. But when I watch Ryan Rollins run an offense, like he doesn't dribble the ball up always, but they'll do like an Iverson cut. So he gets the ball in a place where he can succeed and he can run pick and roll. I remember looking at his advanced stats and he was like an 80% pick and roll uh, operator. So having a certified bucket and a guy that can run pick and roll and create offense for himself I think of him as a playmaker, but it's not like the Chris Paul chess player knows what's going to happen before it happens. It's more of what Chauncey Billups wants in a playmaker in the read-react offense, where I I think most of his passes are off of, oh, this is the the help side defender is on me, which means the corners guy is open. I'm going to pass it to him. So to have a guy that's a mid-major guy that I truly trust in running an offense, creating space for himself, getting the ball to players in their positions that's projected to be like 45 last time I looked in Tankathon. Just his offensive potential makes me think, nah, that that's wrong. It, it might be the mid-major thing. It might be that he's a sophomore. But when I look at Ryan play basketball, it's like he's he's worthy of a first round. Like Just like when I look at Dale and Terry, this is a first-round talent that's just not getting the recognition that he deserves. So when, when you watch Ryan operate, what, what did you think of his, uh, his scoring and his playmaking? Yeah, before I get into that, I'll give uh, a little bio on Ryan Rollins uh, from Macomb, Michigan. Uh, 19 years old, will be 20 by the time of the draft, uh, 6'3 shooting guard, but with an almost 6'10 wingspan, uh, 179 pounds, currently 51st on the Tankathon big board, had a tremendous uh, sophomore campaign at Toledo, averaged uh, damn near 19 points on 47% shooting from the field, uh, just 31% from three, 80% at the line, uh, handed out 3.6 assists, uh, six rebounds, uh, 1.7 steals, and 0.3 blocks in over 32 minutes a game in 34 games with a player efficiency rating of 24.7. When I first saw him, I was like, there's so much CJ McCollum. In oh, this yeah, team. totally. And CJ McCollum came out of Lehigh as a 22-year-old senior. So clearly it's not as polished or refined as CJ was back in 2013. But you can see it. Uh, he does, he's not, this is why I think he's slipping um, or not considered a first-round talent. Like you're looking at an undersized two, you're looking at a guy who maybe not is the best athlete or has the the quickest first step, but He's learning how to play crafty, and that's what CJ did. When you watch CJ at Lehigh, you you noticed how he was able to get his shot off against bigger, taller, faster Duke defenders and just lighting people up and had a complete control of, of the game. Like I think there is so much value in somebody who can get, the, get, get their own shot, and that's also why CJ's career is, is almost just getting started. Like he's going to have five to seven more years of really good basketball because he doesn't rely on his athleticism. It's not a Russell Westbrook situation, Derek Rose situation where they were reliant on their athleticism to get to where they needed to go. Brian is the type of player who, whether you project him as a starter or a perennial sixth man that you can draft him and say, we want you for the next decade and you can just be our bucket getter uh, he does have some defensive potential. Um, yeah, I think definitely. Some, one he has thing some aggressive to, hands. 
Yeah, that's one thing to not um, shy away from when when looking at him is the fact that given his wingspan, he he can go out there and, and be disruptive. And I think he will have to um, to make an impact day one. Like he's not going to get the. I would say CJ had the leeway of being yeah, a lottery pick. pick. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, so you know you're okay. We're going to invest heavily in this guy. If if Ryan is a second round pick you have to do a lot of things to get on the floor as a second round pick. And I think uh, being a disruptor on defense will get him on the floor early. And then if he gets into the right situation, like he seems, he just seems like the game comes easy to him. Game slows down. And I, I don't think you can put the competition as a deterrent or a negative. We've seen time and time again, mid-major players, if you produce and it, you pass the eye test, it's tr- typically translates over to the NBA level. I mean, you can even go back to 85 when Terry Porter was drafted. Nobody knew what a Wisconsin Stevens point was, but he was taken late in the first round. And sure enough, Terry Porter, two-time all-star, second best player on one of the greatest errors of all time. Damian Lillard, maybe the greatest blazer of all time. Little Weber State out of, uh, you know, Ogden, Utah. Mm-hmm. Like CJ McCollum, Lehigh in Pennsylvania. Like if, if you are a hooper, you can hoop at any level and you just, you, you see it with, with Ryan Rollins. Like he was just making defenders look silly. Um, mm-hmm. I do have some questions about, and I think this is what comes with um, the age and learning the game and learning how to get your shot off and getting more crafty, so to speak, because right now he does have trouble uh, finishing at the rim, whether he's worried it's going to get blocked. So he's throwing it up early or um, it is getting blocked at the rim. Like we've seen CJ do some incredible moves he has to do those incredible moves yeah. to get the finishes off. Like that, that's what he learned and taught himself to become so lethal. Like we always talk about the CJ special victims unit. That didn't happen right out of Lehigh. That didn't happen year one, year two. Like he, he worked on it, became the most improved player. I think Ryan Hollins could, could do that. Like it, it takes work, but you, you like the mold, what you can mold him into be like, you like the base, like at 20 years old, he's already got this bag give him a couple years. Like it may take three or four, but give him some time in a system where he's getting decent run. And I think you're going to like the rewards. I, I, I too have him as a first round grade easy. I, I like him better than a, a lot of prospects that are being all the Duke prospects that aren't AJ or Paulo. I have, I find I like him open. better than, do I like it better than AJ? I might hurt your feelings, Sage. So what? Yes, I do like him. I like him one spot right now better than AJ Griffin. As you break my heart into pieces as we're talking about Ryan, that bag, it, I feel like he researches the game because I watched him, and I, I, I apologize for not knowing the actual game, but as you research uh, this late in the year, everything just jumbles up. But there was a time where he pulled an out. Do you remember the Allen Iverson crossover on Michael Jordan? He did that in in a game. Of course, it's not Michael Jordan getting his ankles took, but it was like the fact that he's watching a game from 20 years ago, trying that move and it's succeeding. I think that he has the best dribble bag of this entire class easy because he, he's got some CJ in his game. He's got some James Harden. He's got Kyrie. He's got Allen Iverson. Having that bag at that age and showing improvement in every game, every year that he's pr- played is hugely important. And then there's just the, the respect to the game to take dribble moves from just superstar players that, I mean, AI is probably one of my favorite players ever, but him, like, he, he's 10 years younger than me. He didn't see that shit live. He had to look and do his research to find that dribble package. So that excites me. The way that he passes excites me. I think that he he's not going. He will be a net negative year one as a as a uh, defender. But I think almost everyone outside of Terry and potentially Chet is going to be a net negative as a defender. But once he gets some strength, I feel like he's going to be a neutral defender and a super plus offensive player. Like. If he's your sixth man, I feel so confident in the fact that there's going to be good offense. Like one of the biggest issues with uh, Dennis Smith Jr. and uh, Chris Dunn was they're not scaring anybody on the offensive end if they're on the perimeter. Um, 
I know that his three-point percentage isn't good, but take a look at the shots he's taking. It's not an easy shot. None of the shots that he takes are considered easy. He has to work for his offense. They're not going to leave Ryan in the corner to catch and shoot. All of these are pull-up jumpers. We've seen it go in. Like the footwork's good. The the follow-through, the form, it's all good. It's just a lot. It's a more difficult shot than a uh, catch-and-shoot shooter. Like if you're a stationary catch-and-shoot shooter that feeds off of the playmaker's gravity, your shots are a lot easier to make. Like uh, Mo Harkless didn't take a difficult shot once in Portland because of Dame's gravity or CJ's gravity. Ryan Rollins on that on his college team absolutely had to take numerous bad shots because nobody else was a threat. So the three-point percentage, I wish it was higher, but I'm not totally scared of it because the attempts have to matter. Your three-point percentage is great, but if you take nothing but easy jumpers, your percentage should be higher. But if you're taking uh, off-the-dribble threes, something that I guess Dale and Terry didn't do, I'm fine with a 31% three-point percentage because I think the the offense is good, and I think the defense is it's not going to be a net negative when he is in his prime. So I currently have hit uh, at Ryan at 24, one spot ahead of Dalen Terry. So he for this podcast, he is my number one guy. My second player from Arizona. Do you have comps for Ryan? No. I just oh, said CJ Light. Okay. I, I see Cam Thomas in his game from LSU. I see my favorite college player of my teens in him as well. Marcus Thornton. I see two LSUs and then Lehigh and CJ if he hits his all time. But like the 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 microwave shooter, the microwave player, like it's it's a comp, it's a player uh that works in this league. He gets his own shot and he sets players up for their shot. So yeah, the CJ, the the Marcus Thornton, the Cam Thomas, like he's going to make defenders look silly. But uh, sorry for interrupting. Let's go to your second AZ. All good. Second Arizona prospect. I clearly liked the Wildcats this year. I had them winning the, I had them winning it all. Uh, Unfortunately, Houston happened and it it didn't happen for Arizona, but I love three of their prospects, um, especially this last one and where he could be uh, available. Uh, I'm talking about Christian Coloco, center from the University of Arizona, seven feet tall, over a seven five wingspan, 221 pounds, uh, 21 years of age, will be um, 22 uh, at draft day. From uh, Douala, Cameroon, he was the Pac-12 Defensive Player of the Year this past year and the Pac-12 Most Improved Player in 2022. Currently number 26 on the Ringers' big board, 32 on Tankathon's big board. Have seen many of mock drafts have Portland taking him at 36 in the second round. On the season, averaged uh, 12.6 points. Did that on 63.5% shooting from the field. Uh, 73.5% from the free throw line. So a big that can shoot the ball from the line, which is very important. Uh, Pulled down 7.3 rebounds, uh, 2.8 blocks, just a menace on the glass. Uh, 1.4 assists, 0.8 steals. Did all of this in 25.4 minutes in 37 games with a player efficiency rating of 28. One of the highest that we have recorded during our future Friday series. Uh, when, when I look at Christian Coloco, I, I know he is a, a one-way player at this point, but to me, he is the, the best value big in this draft class. Um, you, you look at a player, and I, I really like Jalen Duran, but you're going to have to spend a high lottery pick to get Jalen Duran. I'm seeing Mark Williams go 13 to 15. That, that's asinine to me for a one-way player. Like all of the players that, that I just mentioned are one way D- defensive first. Coloco is the same. He is a fluid mobile big who is a, a paint presence. I mean, he's going to be a rim protector. Um, he's got pretty, pretty big feet. I don't know if he's going to be able to get out there and pressure off of the pick and roll. I think he projects more in, in the drop coverage, 
But what I love about him is he has quickness and he has length and it allows him to be just a destroyer on the glass. It allows him to erase a lot of shots, um, good hands, good feet. If there are two things you want to see in a, in a center, it is good hands and good feet. And I think you can, you can teach a lot when a big man has soft hands and quick feet. Uh, That's just, that's always what I look for. I think there's still a lot of untapped potential in in him as well. Like I I know he is an older prospect. I mentioned going to be 22 uh, by the time of the draft. But as I mentioned, when talking about Dale and Terry, the staff at Arizona did wonders for him. The change from, um, I forgot who was their coach for, I think his name, Sean Miller. Sean Miller, yeah. To Tommy Lloyd did him wonders. I, I, I think there is still more room for him to grow. Right now, the only offense you're going to get out of him is the rim running presence. He is a fantastic lob threat. You can lob it to him off of the pick and roll. You can just lob it to him when he's in the dunker spot. Uh, he really knows when to go up and catch that lob as well. You don't need to give him the ball, though. He's not going to be a post-up player that you just dump it into. Uh, He needs to work on his finishing around the basket, but he is a low-usage player. And when you have players like a Dame and an Anthony and and a Josh Hart who who need that ball, it's good to have a player who I'll I'll just clean it up for you. So why I love him so much is because the the value for him to fall the 36, like I have a first round grade on him. I, I think if you're looking for an NBA comp, it's, it's, he's a Clint Capella type of big Clint Capella is doing pretty good things for, for the Atlanta Hawks. Um, That's again, this is why I love talking about second round prospects. I I don't care that I can't run offense through him. I care that he can defend the paint. I I care that he's, he's mobile. I I care that he can rebound the ball and I care that he doesn't need the ball because you don't, there's only one basketball. So for the fact that he can just go and do his job, do the dirty work and be a defensive first player, something the Blazers have desperately needed. um, I'll take that in the second round every day of the week and twice on Sundays. So, you know, before I watched the playoffs, I, I didn't think his fit in the NBA was particularly good because of the lack of any real offense. And then I watched Rudy Gobert. And I know that a lot of people don't like Rudy Gobert. I think that he's a fantastic defender. And the reason he gets roasted is because his perimeter defenders suck. But you look at what Rudy does, and it's it's rim run and it's defend. He doesn't touch the ball in the paint. He gets the fuck out of the paint. That's what that's what he does. He wants to keep spacing open for Donovan Mitchell, even though those two don't like each other. But I f- kind of feel like if he's if he if, if Christian can at least post up if they do a full switch and score. I have all the faith in the world that he can be an offensive threat like Rudy Gobert. Maybe not the passing out of the rebound, but he picks, does his pick and roll, runs to the hoop hard. If he doesn't get it, he'll redo a pick. Like it's not going to be the sexiest offense. Like I think Jalen Duran can do some playmaking out of the short roll. There's no way Christian's doing that in year one through four. It might be, he might develop it, but right now he's just Rudy Gobert with his screen setting rolling to the basket hard and then providing all of the defensive uh, blocks and, you know, help side defense and, and rebounding. So I know, I know in the playoffs, you see guys like Grant Williams be a DHO hub or, you know, any of the bigs that we, we, we fiend over do that. But at 30 in the second round of the the draft finding a guy that can just do the yeoman's work and rebound and block shots and then dunk it on the other end it, it's fine like four out offense is still providing a lot of space it's worked for the orlando magic it's worked for a lot of teams so if we run the exact same offense we do with yusuf with christian we're still providing spacing so i I am fine with what he provides offensively. And I think defensively, it is a very uh, high value pick. 
Yeah, and I think it's important to remember that the regular season still counts too. It gets you your spot in the playoffs and determines your matchups. You need you need depth up front, um, especially with with COVID nineteen. You're still going to get players entering health and safety protocols. Um, if Portland resigns Yusuf Nurkic, that injury history doesn't magically disappear. There's still a threat that he um, will, will miss time, and you probably don't want to play him heavy minutes throughout the regular season. Um, if you can get a rotational big in the second round, like by all means go out and, and, and do so. Like, again, I, I still believe there's untapped potential. So yeah, if he gets matched up against a, a little dump it into him, see if he can finish with, with, with a, a baby jump hook or just a, even a dunk. And on the defensive end, like I, I believe in the athleticism. I think if he, you get him into an NBA training camp and an NBA trainer, make him a little more agile. And then you might be able to see him go out there and, and hedge a little bit more. Um, I just, I think that I'm all about value. And if you can grab him at 36, take that and run because. How, how much better is Mark Williams than him? Honestly. I like Coloco better. I, I'm not a huge, I, I, I think the reason think, Mark Williams is higher is because he's two years younger. I, I think that Mark. Mark has very similar issues to him. Yes. And they're, I think both of them extremely similar players. I think both of them are rotation bigs. I don't know if Mark's a starter. I really don't. Like there, there's there's some major issues with his hips. He is he is a fast player, a v- supremely jumpy player. He goes for everything. And he measured he measured out very well. I don't see 30 picks of difference between those two in their no, most I have them two spots right now difference on my big board. There's but, one player in between the two. So I, I think they're very similar. But yeah, because yeah. Mark Williams is projected to go lottery and Coloco is projected to go second round, give me Coloco mm-hmm. every time. Yeah, like the ceiling might be a little bit higher, but it's it's not worth literally 30 draft spots. It's not worth your lottery pick. I agree. It's, it's not. Like I I have mint, I have a lot of bigs ahead of Mark Williams. So yeah, I, I agree. Like the, the, the value of Christian is just so much higher than, than, than any other big in this draft, unless Walker Kessler also falls. So, which, you know, I, I have seen him fall a little bit too. So, you know, Portland potentially could be getting a, a good big in the second round. If Kessler or Coloco um, Who do you have higher? available, what's that? Who do you have higher between the two? I have Kessler just by a notch. I like do. I have those two I have Kessler higher as well. Yeah, I think he's a better D, uh, a better shot blocker, and I I believe he could develop a jump shot. Whereas I don't, I, I think Coloco needs to work on just shooting like five foot hooks. So like that there is. Also, I think that they have the same like. There's that's a similar it's yeah. a similar big class. Jay, I feel like Jalen Duran has established himself as the number one traditional center you can put Chet as a center but he is not a center and in my eyes he's a he's a he's a four that's magnificent i think duran has show has separated himself as the number one center by far and then a lot of these bigs are very similar so if you can get a walker kessler or a a christian coloco in the second round the value you win you win the value like if they bust they bust it's it's less detrimental then you taking Mark Williams at 15 and then him busting. All right, Sage, talk to me about your last prospect, someone who I don't know a whole lot about. Hunjun Lee from South Korea. So um, he's a junior. He's a junior from Davidson. 6'7", 210 pounds. I'm just, I, I, I do have the bio up. I never look at the bios. I'm really bad at that. I just look at 15.8 points this year on 38% from three, 47% from the field, uh, 78% from the line, uh, nearly two assists, six boards, uh, 0.3 blocks, and 0.7 steals in 34 games for the Davidson Wildcats. So Hunjun is a absolute flamethrower from three. It's what drew me to him. Last year, I know that he was a 40-90 guy. So you, the shot is there. And when you look at just absolute flamethrowers, you can really take a lot, subtract a lot from his game. I don't think he's Duncan Robinson where he is an absolute non-factor as a defender. 
I'm going to get that out of the way first. But as a three-point shooter, he's he's the guy, the type of guy that can shoot off the dribble. I don't think they'll happen that much in the league, but he can. He can catch and shoot with the best of them. And then the movement shooting is super interesting. You know how the Duke uh, Blue Devils did the elevator play for AJ. Davison did the same thing for Hunjun, and it resulted in some really open threes. And one thing that I just love is that he never stops moving. So he always is working the screen, trying to get the correct angle to shoot. He he does not stop moving. So I watched that Michigan State Davidson game, and he had the defender just chasing him around the hoop, chasing him around the court. And then once he got open, he launched and the shot was pure. It the the footwork is incredible. The 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 shot, the relocation. This is the type of three-point shooter that changes your defensive strategies. And the fact that he's not ranked on Tangathon, he's not ranked in a lot of these other, uh, you know, big, big uh, agencies, you know, it, it shows that they're not looking at Davidson, watching him just work and um, move. He's six, seven. So, you know, most good shooters that are dominant in college are kind of those six foot guys that just speed dribble around and get their shot launched. But at six seven, you can potentially just shoot over players. And if if the movement skills stay true, man, like he's going to get a lot of mismatches and just launch. He his passing is actually really good. He can't dribble for shit, but he's kind of like all the other playmakers in this draft outside of Ryan Rollins and Paulo, where he can't dribble, but he passes well. So because of his movement skills, he draws a lot of attention. So when doubles happen, he's very comfortable of passing it to the open man for easy, easy uh, points. But do not give him the ball and ask him to be the uh, lead playmaker. That ain't him. His offense is just predicated on that shooting ability and his movement ability. But I believe in the shot. I know that the 78 free throw percentage this year was not what you'd want, but I've seen it. Last year, it was a 90 percenter. So I know the shots there. It was kind of a down year for him, but at 38 percent from three as a down year, that's pretty incredible. Like I know I know Clay Thompson did not have a one good year as a shooter. So if the down year for Hunjun is 38 percent from three, I'll take that all day. I'm I have him ranked as a first round guy. I know a lot of people don't. But the shooting, the, there isn't that many elite shooters that aren't a complete and utter disaster as a defender that fail. Uh, I guess I can talk about his defense. Obviously, he's not a point of attack guy. He's not the most athletic player in the league. But one thing that I noticed that I thought was really impressive from him was he knew where to be. The pit positionality of him on the defensive end was at a really high level. And I think that being able to be in the right place as a defender as a underrated skill set that people just seem to, to gloss over. So he he's there in the dig position when the on defense on help side, he he's a willing defender. He's just not the greatest. He's not, he's not a good defender, but as a team defender, as a team defender, he is a high level guy with positioning, knowing where to be. So obviously you're not putting him in to guard LeBron, but if you need a high-level team defender that's positionality is good, he's not going to kill you in that sense. Anything on the ball is, is going to be bad because I don't know how many elite fireball shooters also are great, great defenders. So, so with him not having uh, a strong grade, I would say, from early scouts, professional and amateur uh, among us all, would you be looking at him with our second second round pick? If we can get him, sure. Yes. I, I, I don't think I don't think that he's going to go in the first round, but to have a guy that I, I think the Blazers and Pelicans were the two worst teams in spacing. It, it was a very cramped basket. So having a guy that is going to be a rotation guy that can just spread you out 
and and shoot is going to make Dame's life so much easier and Ant's life so much easier when there isn't that that cheating guy on the corner. Do you think he could? Um, What's up? Do you think he could fill in the Ben McLemore role? Yes, I think that he would be a better Ben McLemore because he's taller. I mean, Ben's six four. Ben also can dunk like a motherfucker, but he the 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 space between dunking and getting to the hoop is humongous for Ben. And I don't think that that part of his game will never be there where he can just drive and dunk. So I think that he would fit the Ben Macklemore, but I think that he's a better movement shooter than Ben. It might've been Chauncey Billups' scheme, but Ben would just stay in the corner. Hanjun will use Yusuf's size and run off ball. Like that's what he did all year at Davidson. So if Chauncey Billups in his scheme can actually fit a guy that's a movement shooter in, it would be a really uh, good use of that second round pick or the second, second round pick. But yeah, like a high level shooter, that's a movement shooter. Like I know people will give him the uh, Justin Jefferson comp and I, that might be an LSU receiver. Uh, (laughs) Justin Jackson, Justin Jackson. Sorry. In my mind, Justin Jefferson is more important, but, I, if I was to give a comp, I think it's Dougie McBuckets. Both of them are tall shooters that are good movement guys. And you saw Dougie get a, a real bag from the San Antonio Spurs and be their starting player. I, I really see that Hanjun can do that for a team. And if you could get a guy that legitimately has two NBA skills in his shooting and his passing at 60 or 58 or wherever our second pick is, you take it. I mean, yeah, right. when, when you talk about second round picks, they're not perfect. So we talked about four second round players. We will have two for you next Friday as well as the weeks um, start to dwindle away as we get um, into anticipation for the, the June 23rd NBA draft. As always, uh, give us a comment. Uh, Five star review would be wonderful. Greatly appreciated. Um, Sage. Anything else? Uh, that should do it. Um, I just hope the Blazers actually take good players with their second round picks. I know yeah, that don't I, I don't want them throwing those picks. Those those picks are valuable. Most draft poor team in the league, I think. We're with how, franchise. Yeah, with how we've traded first round picks for nothing, you have to use these picks. And if they're not home run picks, it's fine. It's the second round. Just get good basketball players. The four players that we mentioned are good basketball players. They fit roles as a shooter, as a creator, as a two defenders. Like out of the four players that we mentioned, three are two-way players. And I'm sorry for Hunjun, he is not. But he also is the best shooter in the second round. And honestly, I would say that he's a better shooter than AJ Griffin. And you know what I think about AJ. Like, the ability to be a movement shooter is a very rare thing to have. And if he's there at our second, second round pick, I think it would be a very smart move to take on John. So yes, uh, 48 minutes of confident basketball, real, real players, not these, these fraudulent, like, I guess that's a mean word to say, but not these potential players that haven't shown anything in the second round, just hit a single. That, that's fine. And we've been pretty damn good at drafting second round picks in the last decade with all of the, the, the hits that we've had. Yeah. I feel so, like Portland, maybe more so than any team does a really good job historically of taking second round picks and turning them into to gold. Like we, we talked about cliff. We talked about Jerome, uh, Trazen Petrovich was a second round pick or, or, or even later, uh, will, will Barton, Alan Crabb, Pat Connaughton, Gary Trent jr. Like, Jake Ligaman got a second round, second yeah. uh, contract. They, Paul Millsap was a second round pick. I know I desperately wanted Paul Millsap in that, that 06 draft. I was like, that guy can rebound. Rebounding translates. Draft mm-hmm. him. Mm-hmm. Didn't happen, but Paul Millsap is still playing basketball 16 years later. So, you, I mean, we have it on wax. I was a big supporter of Jay Crowder and Draymond Green. Both of those players, amazing careers. You can find absolute studs in the second round. Don't throw these picks away, Portland. I mean, shit, like Malcolm Brogdon, they thought he was too old. Rookie of the year. Yep. 
I just want Cronin. He has he has safety. He has a four year contract. Do the due diligence. Like I know that he just interviewed Benedict Matherin, and I I approve of that. And then he also did the other guy who I don't want to mention. Like, do your due diligence. Go to this G League. Oh, go to the G League uh, combine and do your research on guys that are in the second round because they will help you. Last thing before we wrap it up, and I know I we we did a false start on ending. Does the combine affect anything for you as a draft evaluator? Me? Yeah. Um, probably only positively, and it's just in measurements, like if a guy has a longer wingspan. Um, but then you also have to say, okay, this guy's had this wingspan this entire season, and I'm and still hasn't used it. <laughs> yeah. So it, it's it's wonderful to say Mark Williams has a fantastic wingspan, but okay, but he still played what he played. Like you still have to use the tape, you still have to use your eyes, like. It kind of goes back to uh, Kenny Pickett at, at the NFL draft when he's like, oh, he has the smallest hands of anybody, but he was the man for Pitt. Like, he was a Heisman finalist. Like, I watched him, like, throw a regulation football in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania weather pretty damn well. So, no, not really. Like, it's cool to be like, oh, that guy measured up better. So, I guess, like, it, it projects a little bit more, but I don't know if I would make a decision based solely off of what the combine numbers tell me. You know, like I, I remember Johnny Juzang, and he absolutely killed it in the the uh, final four, and then he went into the combine and kind of got exposed. But we knew that he had these issues the entire time. But having it be exposed in front of everybody kind of was, the, I, I believe, the reason that he returned to UCLA. So I, I guess it can be negative, but these players have thirty games of tape out there. And if you've done your due diligence and watched, you know, a good amount of them, you know the player, so it shouldn't really matter. But of course, it will. But yeah, for me, I don't, I, I don't, I don't use combine success or play uh, pro day success. Like if you can't make most of your three pointers in an open gym, you should not have had your agent do this. You know what I mean? Like if you can't hit wide open. And all your decision points is shooting it. Like you play the game. You've played the game before. When you get the ball and you're open, you have to make a decision. So that decision adds another element to your to the, to your shot. So wide open, you have no, in an open gym, you have no other option. You're shooting it. But in a real game, there's no like, okay, there, there's Grant Williams getting an open shot and being able to look at the floor for two seconds. But most of the time, you you make that split-second decision, and that is another reason why shots miss. So if you can't make it on a wide-open gym, you shouldn't have had your agent do this. So uh, use the 30 games of evidence as your reason why this player is good or not instead yeah, of I the put, one I put day. more stock into the um... – personal team visits. Like we, we heard Damien absolutely wowed, you know, the ownership and head coach and just put on, even if it was just Damien, like mm -hmm. you could just tell, you, you can put a player even in an open gym setting, but how do they care, uh, carry themselves? How do, how do they show up? Um, how do they handle it? Like, yeah, maybe an open gym, but you still have an, uh, a GM and an owner and a head coach all looking at you, evaluating you on this one opportunity. How do you look? Do you let the pressure get to you? Reports had Kevin Durant shot the shit out of the basketball, had one of the best uh, uh, team days of all time for the Blazers. Odin was a, just a mediocre team day. They, they went with, like, I'm not, I'm not saying that's why Durant ended up being better than Odin, but, like, put some stock into that because there is pressure, especially when you have lottery picks coming in because these guys don't want to slip. They, they, they don't want to lose money. Uh, the, the further they drop, the more money they lose. So like, do they show up in shape? Like, do they look cut? Like, do they look like they've been putting in the work? Uh, can you notice maybe, maybe something that I would take is like, when you see that tape, was there an improvement that you wanted to see them make? And did they make that improvement from the end of the season till, you know, June workouts? So do you remember the Devin Vassell shot change? Yeah. Drama. <laughs> like, yeah, like, they're, 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 some of the shit should not be shown on a public uh, to the public. And I, I think that like the fact is most likely you and I will not be there to 
look at any of the thing. I mean, like 99%, we won't be there to look at the th- any of the the workouts. So like- No, media is closed to those. Yeah. So we're just, we just have to rely on what we've seen from these players in their actual seasons. It is wild though. I worked for the team and I was there for the 2013 draft workouts. Every time a group would come in, go in afterwards and interview them, would it not? I have photos on my camera roll and it's like, there's Steven Adams in a blazer Jersey. There's Rudy Gobert in a blazer Jersey. Like it's, it's, there's obviously CJ McCollum was there. I believe Mason Plumlee was there. It's just like going back and seeing these like, Oh, like, like what type of what if? So it's always like, when you get the guys in, in for your pro days, it's, it's really like, there's obviously Kevin Durant in the blazer Jersey. It's like, Oh man, what if like, so you, you got to make the right pick. You don't want to have to, you want to, see them in the real Jersey multiple times throughout the rest of the, the next decade. You don't want to look back at a picture and, you know, just like ah, the one that got away. All right. So uh, I think we can wrap it up. Uh, no more false starts from me um, for the rest of the podcast. I wanted to ask you a question. That's why I stopped myself, but uh, thank you so much for listening. We are out of here. I'm going to get some lunch. Peace.